Well, good morning again. Uh, as always, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word to you today. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 4? We'll be looking at verses 12 through 19 today. Before we look there, though, have you ever seen those Life is Good t-shirts? If you haven't, they generally have a stick figure guy who is doing something enjoyable. And then the caption underneath says, life is good. I love the t-shirts. They're comfortable and they also don't have anything political or any kind of promotional material on them. They're just an enjoyment of the goodness of life. But do you notice an assumption that those t-shirts make? The stick figure guy is always doing something comfortable or vacation-y. He's laying in a hammock. He's driving in his Jeep across a rugged terrain. He's grilling out on a nice summer day. He's camping with his dog. The assumption that those t-shirts make is that life is good when things are easy, when things are comfortable. They don't have any pictures of the stick figure guy lying in a hospital bed or holding a sobbing child or getting berated by his dad at Thanksgiving dinner. What they're assuming, or at least communicating, is that life is good when things are hunky-dory. The sign that my life is good is that I'm comfortable and relaxed. Well, God has a different message for us today. What God is going to tell us in 1 Peter 4 is that suffering is the norm of the Christian life. It is exactly what you should expect if you follow Christ. But instead of being an indicator that our life is bad, or that it's running off the rails, or that God has abandoned us, this suffering serves as an assurance that we are united with Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can respond to our suffering with rejoicing and trust in God. But before we hear these things from God's Word, let's ask now for His help. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read Your Holy Word, I ask that You would give us Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know Your Son, Jesus Christ, better. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we may hear your word and believe it. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. This passage is about suffering and the proper Christian response to suffering. The first verse is a bit arresting right off the bat. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Before we look at the proper response to our suffering, I want to point out what this fiery trial is. We've talked about this a bit through the letter of 1 Peter. Persecution is certainly a part of this suffering because Peter talks about those who are being insulted for the name of Christ in verse 14. This follows with what we've seen about verbal persecution being the norm for Peter's audience. What I want you to see, though, is he's not only talking about persecution or even about verbal persecution. Instead, fiery trial is most likely hearkening back to what Peter said at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Hear what he said. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These various trials speak to the day-in and day-out difficulties of Christians in Peter's day. They got sideways glances from their neighbors. They were called atheists because they didn't worship the Roman gods, and they were scorned They were scorned because they didn't take part in the sinful aspects of Roman social life. Add on to that that they experienced the regular suffering and difficulty of humanity. They lost parents and children and siblings to early death. They had health issues and wondered if they could make ends meet. They were derided by family members and friends. Author and pastor Paul Tripp says that the fiery trials are that range of mundane little obstacles or hurts or pains all the way to those huge life-altering moments of suffering. This is you. Peter is talking about the suffering that you experience from the day-to-day burdens that come and go to those life-altering moments of suffering and loss. All of those Peter calls fiery trials. So how should we respond to those trials, those sufferings? Peter's going to give us two pairs of don'ts and do's in response to our suffering, and then he's going to follow both of those up with a reason or a justification for why we should respond in one way and not the other. If you look in the insert in your bulletin, you'll see the outline. Peter's going to tell us, don't be surprised by your suffering, but rejoice in it. 
And the reason why is because your suffering is a sign that you are united to Christ. He's then going to show us three ways that we see that. Secondly, he's going to say, don't sin to alleviate your suffering, but entrust yourself to God. The reason why is because sinning will not alleviate your suffering. And then he's going to show us that in two different ways. The first thing that Peter tells us is a don't. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. That's our first temptation, to be surprised when we suffer. And don't think of surprise when you see that word surprise like a birthday party surprise, like, oh, I didn't expect this. The surprise is much more like walking into your house and seeing a raccoon. It's not just that you didn't expect it, it's that it doesn't belong there. The temptation that we have as Christians is to think that our suffering doesn't belong in our life. Why is my body failing me? I eat fairly healthy and I'm an active person. Why do I keep fighting with my husband? We're doing things the right way. Marriage is not supposed to be this hard. Why don't the kids at school like me? I didn't do anything wrong. We think our suffering is strange. Peter tells us not to respond in that way. Don't be surprised when you suffer as a Christian. God calls us to respond differently. Look with me at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Instead of thinking your suffering is strange, you should rejoice. Can you imagine rejoicing at suffering? But Peter gives us a reason why this isn't so crazy. Why rejoicing makes sense as a Christian. He says that our suffering as Christians is actually a sign. It's an indicator of the fact that you are united to Jesus Christ. He shows us that in three ways. First, he says that you are experiencing fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. Second, he says that this suffering is a test. Through it, God is giving you confidence in your future glory. And then thirdly, he tells us that the same spirit that abided with Christ in his life also abides with you. First, he says, when you suffer, you are experiencing fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings. Look at verse 13 again. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Now, the word share is a fine translation, but the Greek word that it's translating is the word koinonia. Koinonia is typically a word that we associate with fellowship or joint participation in something. What this means for our passage is that Peter is saying something about our experience of suffering. He's saying, since your sufferings are an avenue to fellowship with Jesus, you should rejoice. Peter's not the only one in the Bible who says that our sufferings are a way that we have fellowship with Christ. 
Romans 8.17 says, And if we are children of God, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We don't just suffer like Jesus. We suffer with Jesus. This is fellowship with Him. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 8 to 11, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is mysterious to be sure, but in some way as a Christian, when you suffer, it creates deeper fellowship or communion with Jesus Christ. When you suffer in your life, you are joining Jesus in His suffering. That's one reason why you can rejoice in your sufferings. Second reason that Peter gives why you can rejoice in your suffering as a Christian is that this suffering is a test from God. God is giving you confidence in your future glory. Back in verse 12, we already saw that Peter called our sufferings trials that come upon you to test you. What does he mean by test? That doesn't sound very nice, like God is messing with us or something. I think what's important to see is that we assume, we think of people giving us a test so that they know the results of the test. What you need to realize is that the test of your sufferings is for you to know the results. This is a common analogy in the sports world. My high school basketball coach would often say this leading up to a big game at the beginning of the season. Boys, this game is going to be a good test for us. What did he mean by that? He meant that we were going to learn something from that game. We were going to learn something about our character, about the kind of team that we were. The way that we performed in that game would be an indicator for us of our true character. Sometimes he even called it a playoff game or a postseason game. What he meant is that that game at the very beginning of the season would show us the results that we would get at the end of the season. Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Peter is saying to us now when he talks about our suffering as a test. It's an indicator for you of what God has done in you. And it's an indicator for you of what will happen to you when Christ returns. Verse 13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you share in the sufferings of Christ now, then it is an indicator, a confidence builder that you will share in the glory of Christ when He returns. Paul says the same thing in the passage we just read from Romans 8. And if we are children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That's the second reason that Peter gives why we can rejoice in our suffering. 
as a Christian, your suffering now is an indicator for you of the glory that is to come. Thirdly, he says that we can rejoice in suffering because God's Spirit is with us. Verse 14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. At first glance, reading this verse, it may look like Peter is just quoting Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, from the very end of the Beatitudes. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Peter is saying the same thing, but notice that he adds on a reason to the end why it is that we can rejoice. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is most likely a reference to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about Jesus that we looked at back in Advent of this year. This is what Isaiah says. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So what Peter is doing is, again, making a reference to the fact that you have been united to Christ, and so everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. You are joined with him, both in his suffering and in his glory. Just as Christ had the Holy Spirit resting upon him, bringing strength and comfort throughout his life, you have that same Holy Spirit resting on you, both as comfort and strength. He's the Spirit of glory, the text says. He allows you, even in your suffering now, to participate now in the joy of the life to come. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. So Peter gives you ample reason why you can rejoice in the midst of your sufferings. You have fellowship with Jesus in his suffering. Your suffering serves as a sign for you of the glory that you will receive when Jesus returns. And that same spirit of glory that rested upon Jesus rests upon you now. All of these point to the fact that you have been united to Jesus Christ, so you share everything that he experienced, both his suffering and his glory, both his death and his resurrection. Before we move on to that next set of don'ts and do's, I want to be sure that we're clear on something about suffering from a whole Bible perspective. What Peter is not saying is some sort of pop stoicism. Life is hard, get used to it. He's also not saying some form of Buddhism that begins by saying that all of life is misery and suffering and happiness begins with you accepting that. No, Peter is a Christian. And so he has a Christian view of the world and of suffering. And a Christian view of the world is that sin and its child, death and suffering, are imposters in God's good creation. They don't belong here, but we brought them here. And what God has promised from the very beginning is that he will put an end to them. He will put an end to sin and death and suffering. But the big surprise for all the universe 
is that God didn't simply just wipe death off the stage. He didn't just show up and blow death out of the water. Instead, he looked a lot more like Jack Sparrow. You all remember Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. What Jack Sparrow always does is he makes you think that you're beating him. He makes you think that he's lost. And then you turn around and he's holding your weapon. He has taken your ship. And that's exactly what Jesus did to death. Jesus made it look like death had defeated him. He made it look like he had lost. And then what did he do? He commandeered death and used it for his own purposes. Through death, he brought life. Through suffering, he brings glory. So this is our lens that we see suffering through now. We agree with the laments and the grieving of God's people in the Bible and in history. Notice that Peter never tells us not to grieve in the midst of suffering. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says that we have been grieved by these trials. But we also realize that Jesus Christ has taken suffering and now uses it as a tool to bring forth life. So the command to rejoice doesn't discount our tears. For the Christian, the tears and the rejoicing go hand in hand. As Paul says, we are suffering yet always rejoicing, or we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's the backdrop of these commands for us and for Peter. Now Peter gives us one more set of don'ts and do's in response to our suffering. He says, when you're met with suffering, don't sin, but instead entrust yourself to God. Look with me at verses 15 through 19. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a lot in these verses, but I want you to see that Peter is not saying something different in these verses than he said in the first half of our passage. Rather, he's furthering his application point. One key is to recognize that all of us are tempted to think that sinning will alleviate our suffering. We've talked about that in past weeks, but it comes to the fore here. We are tempted to think that sinning will alleviate our suffering. Suffering brings with it a certain kind of pressure, a buildup. That's true when we talk about physical suffering, but it's especially true when we talk about the suffering of temptation. Let me give you an example. High school is hard. Classes can be difficult. You have extracurricular activities, and many of our high schoolers also have jobs. There's continued pressure to perform well in all of those spheres. One temptation to deal with that pressure, to alleviate it, would be to cheat on a test or to steal a friend's answers for your homework. 
it seems like that would release some of that pressure, that it would alleviate some of the difficulty. And that lie is there in all of life. We have spouses here who are suffering through unmet desires and needs in their marriage. The temptation is to sin, to meet those desires somewhere else, because it seems like that would alleviate your suffering. You're having financial difficulties, and they sit on top of you like a ton of bricks. A temptation might be to find a couple of loopholes in your taxes so that you don't have to give as much money and you might be able to keep a little more. That might relieve some of your suffering. As a Christian, you will always be met with this lie, this decision that lies in front of you. Am I going to suffer or am I going to sin to try to alleviate that suffering? Jesus was met with these same temptations. In the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days and Satan came to him and tempted him. Just turn this rock into bread and your suffering of hunger will be relieved. We see this also when Jesus is reviled by those around him. A way to lessen that reviling would be to revile them in return, to get them back for what they were doing to him. And in the garden, Jesus was tempted to avoid death, to avoid the cup of wrath that he and the Father had agreed he would take on for his people, to alleviate his suffering. And in every one of these instances, Jesus chose suffering instead of sin. He chose to entrust himself to God instead of choosing to relieve the pressure of temptation. This is why the truth of verse 14, that the Holy Spirit rests upon you, is so important. Peter says at the very beginning of his letter what the work of the Holy Spirit is. He writes the letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies you. Sanctification is a big word. All it means is the process of becoming holy. It's holification. You becoming more and more like Christ. It's exactly what we're talking about right now. Resisting the temptation to sin and enduring suffering instead. Entrusting yourself to God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And Peter says that suffering is one of the ways that he accomplishes that. It's a fire that separates the dross from the gold. Suffering is often a tool in God's hand to pry sin and idols out of your fingers. He uses it as a tool to make you rely on Him and trust in Him only. It strips away your comforts so so that you can't depend on them anymore and must depend fully on Christ. In these remaining verses, Peter gives us two reasons why we should choose suffering instead of sin. Verses 15 to 18 are a little bit complicated But the gist of them is that they give the reason why we should choose suffering over sin. And this is what they say, that suffering won't ultimately alleviate your sin, even if it promises that up front. Look at these verses with me. Peter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, 
or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter is talking about Sinners, those who do not trust in Christ and the manner in which they suffer. They choose to sin instead of continuing in suffering. Murdering promises to relieve you of that person that you hate. Thievery promises to alleviate your financial suffering. Meddling promises to relieve you of difficult situations by trying to control them. And then Peter makes a reference to judgment. He points to the fact that even God's children, his household, experience suffering. And then he makes the logical next step. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He means that the suffering of unbelievers, those who choose sin over their suffering, will be much worse than anything you're experiencing in this life. The suffering of discipline of sanctification, of prying that sin away that believers experience now is nothing compared to the suffering of eternal judgment for you if you reject Christ. That's one reason that you should choose to suffer rather to sin. Because the promise that sin makes that it will alleviate your suffering is a lie. Your suffering will not be ultimately alleviated by sin. Peter gives us one more reason why we should entrust ourselves to God rather than sinning. It's because God is faithful. Read verse 19 with me. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What does it mean that God is faithful? It means He is faithful to do what he has promised to do. He promised that he will ultimately glorify those who trust in him, that he will ultimately deal with sin and suffering for all those who trust in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is worth it. What Peter is saying is that God is worthy of our trust in that promise. When we are suffering, our feeling is that God has abandoned us, that he is not faithful. What Peter has told us throughout this text and throughout this letter is that the opposite is actually true. Beloved, your suffering is in fact a sign of God's faithfulness to you. It is in fact a sign that you have been united with the suffering Christ. Your suffering is in fact a sign that he is renewing you into the image of Christ. And one day, all of your suffering will give way to eternal glory with Christ. Peter opens and closes this letter with that promise. So as we close today, I want to read those promises to remind us of our faithful God and that he is faithful to his promises. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and then chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you all pray with me? Father, we are fickle and feeble followers of Christ. We need your help. We need your strength. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that we might be comforted to trust the promises of Christ and that we might be strengthened to live according to your will. Forgive us of our sin and strengthen us anew as we walk in this life as those who are beloved by you, but exiles in this world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.